Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Today I'm going to want to give a little bit of a, kind of a review, but also like finish up with the, with the whole passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where we're at. So, so those of you that have been here, some of this will be a little bit of a refresher, and then at the end we'll make sure and give you some, some fresh content to take home. You good? Well, so the whole preface of this, of this series is studying the love of God, really studying how the love of God functions in our life. How many know that, that, that you, you learn the love of God by loving like God loves? That's one of the great ways that we learn. We don't just, we don't just learn about the love of God through a worship experience or through reading the Bible, but we actually learn a whole lot about God's love by the way that we live, whenever God's love is displayed in our life. And we know this, that as humanity, as creation, that we are objects of God's affections. That God created you to be loved. That's, that's the reason why there's a vacuum in you that you, that you want to feel love, that you want to experience this euphoric thing that we call love. The, the reason why that, that you have that is because God built you that way because you were built to be loved on by him. He didn't just create you because he has a plan or because he wants to do something on the earth. All that stuff's great, but primarily he created you because he wants to love on you. That's the reason why he created you. So inside of you is the vacuum for that. But we also understand that we are image bearers. How many know that? That you bear the image of God and that you're a follower of Christ. And in that, in that image bearing and in that following of Jesus, that it, you realize that it's your destiny to love like him, that it's your destiny to, 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 that your desires would be like his desires, that your, that your tenderness would be like his tenderness, that you would love others the way that God loves. Amen? And so, what happens to us is whenever we really encounter the love of God, I'm not talking about like you came to church and you, you know, checked the boxes and you've gone through the motions. No, no, no. But when you really encounter the love of God, when you encounter Jesus, and this is the reason why we are so bent on that. That's the reason why Overflow Church exists to encounter the reality of Jesus is that we know that we are, when we encounter this man, that he marks us, that he transforms us, that he, that he puts a fire in our heart that can't go out. And some of you haven't experienced that yet, but I believe that if you'll just press into the Lord, he will meet you and he will totally transform you your heart. And so whenever I think about that, when I think about our hearts being marked or branded by the Lord, I think about this story in Luke chapter 24, and it's about two disciples that went to the empty tomb of Jesus, and they were like, oh my gosh, where's Jesus? They went to go visit dead body Jesus, but when they got there, the tomb was empty. Come on, how many of you glad that that tomb is still empty, that there's a king alive? And so they went, and they're like, what's going on? Where, where did Jesus? They laid him here. He was important to us. He was valuable. And so they leave on this road to Emmaus. And now this, this road to Emmaus is seven miles long. And so you figure seven miles, you figure it probably takes them about two and a half hours to walk down this road. Well, when they're walking, they didn't see Jesus. So they're walking and this guy comes up to them and starts talking to them and starts entering in on their conversation with their confusion. They're confused. They're frustrated. They're like, What's going on? We don't know. And this guy starts talking to him. Was well, Jesus. But Jesus in his resurrected state had hidden himself from them. And he started explaining to them. He's like, why are you guys like freaking out? Why are you so acting so foolish? Don't you understand? And it says that Jesus went through the law and the prophets and began to teach them. 
And so they're walking, and they're like, wow, that's good, you know, praise the Lord. You know, they're on their way. And then so when they get to their destination, they say, hey, hey, man, why don't you stay over here and eat with us? And then when they're eating, it's revealed to them that this is Jesus that has been talking to them the whole time. They're like, whoa. I mean, have you ever had that happen? Like, you've been, like, pursuing the Lord, and you've been learning of the Lord, and they're like, whoa, it's the Lord. The Lord is doing this. This is the one that's there. And that's the kind of moment they had. And when they looked at one another, this is what they said. It says that they... that. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked? We're not, was there not something going on in the inside world? We're not our hearts being branded. We're not our hearts being set on fire when we are talking to this man. That's why we felt the way that we did when he was talking. That's the reason why I feel so lit right now is because Jesus was talking to me. This is the conversation they're having. And listen, we understand that when we encounter the Lord, that our hearts are marked by him, that we start to care about the things that he care about. We, we, we start to love the things that he loves. And, and Paul talks about this right before we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. Right before that, he ends chapter 12 with this statement. He says, now let me show you the most excellent way. Let me show you the perfect way. We're talking about the gifts of the Spirit, but let me show you how to use the gifts of the Spirit. He says that Jesus set this this table for us, and he calls it perfect love. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus gave us this mandate. He said to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. (laughs) Thanks, Lord. Like, could you set the bar a little lower? But really, Jesus is saying, he lays out this whole thing about loving your enemies. And he's like, even as your father in heaven is perfect, be perfect. And Jesus is talking about the context of perfect love, that we would learn to walk in perfect love. This is his desire for you. This is the most excellent way. And this is how we get there. First Corinthians chapter 13. Now, how many of you understand we're not perfect yet? Come on, we're, but we're pursuing. So it's not, it's not necessarily where you're at in the process. It's that you're in the process. Come on, because some of you like it just started and some of you are like, you're pretty far along and then you kind of went back and then anybody with me? I know I've done that. So, oh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm not so good, right? First Corinthians chapter 13. If I could speak in all the languages of the earth and all of angels, but didn't have love, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, if I had such faith that I could speak and move mountains, but I did not love others, mm, I would be nothing. What's he saying? He's saying, don't get so caught up in the gifts. You're so caught up in, in everybody's gift and how well they can perform and how tuned in they are to the Holy Spirit. Listen, you can have all of that, but if you have not love, Nothing, if I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. How many know that it's possible to do without loving, but it's not possible to love without doing? And so many times what people do is they get caught up in this works thing, but there's no heart They're doing it for the applause of men, or they're doing it because they feel like it's their calling to do that, but they're not doing it with the heart motivation. Listen, beloved, if you are working from anything other than love, expect no reward. Expect no reward if you are not motivated by love. Because love is patient. 
Love is kind. It is not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. None. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. We talked about this in this series, and I'm going to kind of recap a little bit. First of all, we talked how love is gentle. That means love is patient. It's, it's, it's the long road. Love is the long road, and we are willing to suffer long. Some translations use that word instead of patience. It says suffer long, that I'm willing to go the extra mile and keep going patiently tender. It's the long road. I'm willing to suffer forever for love. Love is kind. Kind means that I'm, not, I'm seeking to be radically unfair in my kindness. That I'm not kind to others because they're kind to me or because they're a good person. No, because I have the kindness of God dwelling in my heart. I'm seeking to be radically unfair in my kindness. Then when we walk away from people, they go, why were they so nice to me? Love is kind. Love is not rude. That means it's not harsh or easily agitated. Are you easily agitated? Love is not easily angered, not just easily agitated, but easily angered. That means that love does not live in reaction. Love lives in a response. Love keeps no record of wrong, that love is not a bookkeeper of the mistakes of others. Instead, those that are forgiven by God find joy in forgiving others. You can afford forgiveness. Because you've been afforded so much. Then we learn that love is selfless. That means it does not envy. That that, that loving well celebrates what others have, even if it's something that I long for. That love does not boast. Meaning that love is not puffed up and inflated. Love is not proud. And we understand that love, it, it, that, that love is illustrated through humility. It's the prerequisite. Humility is a prerequisite of perfect love. You can't love and be prideful, beloved. Love is not self-seeking. That means that love is not about your personal happiness. And this is the great illusion of the age, that happiness and love are the same thing. I feel happy, therefore I love. No, happiness happens. Happiness comes and goes, but love never fails. Love endures forever. Love fights. Love does not delight in evil. That means love is never glad to participate in sin or affirm the sin of themselves or others. Love does not affirm evil nor delight in it. Love rejoices in the truth. That means that we embrace and we speak, speak the truth tenderly in love, understanding this, that it's important for me to communicate the truth because the fruit of truth is freedom. Truth sets people free, but love opens the door to truth. You can speak the truth. Let, let, let me rehash this a minute. You can speak the truth all day long and not see transformation. Because it's love that opens the door for that truth. 
So we rejoice in truth because it sets people free. Number 12 says, is this, is that love always protects. That means that love defends, protects, and provides safe spaces for others. Love always perseveres. That means love sticks around, stays faithful, and fervently fights for. Love outlasts. Love outlasts evil. And then in verse 7, where we're at today, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. The NLT says this, love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. See, love believes. Love believes in others. Love always protects. And we hit on this last week, but that word protects there is stegos. That's the word to roof over. Love protects. It's like love is a, is a, is a, a refuge for people. That I protect people. You know that you only protect what is valuable to you. Do you know that? If you don't see any value in it, you don't bother protecting it. Right? That's why you have stuff laying out in your yard right now that you don't care about. Right? Some of you have a junky backyard filled with a bunch of stuff that you can't get rid of. Listen, you don't care about that stuff. If you cared about that stuff, it would be in the house. It would at least be in the garage. You don't care about And that stuff you care less about too because it's not in the house. Right? But love always protects. We always protect what is valuable to us. And you've got to believe in what you value. You've got to believe in what you value. So the second part is this, is that love always trusts. It means love never loses faith. Now, this is the hard one. Right? Because, man, we, we lose faith. Now, what it doesn't mean is that we're gullible or foolish, but that we live with intent to trust, that we live with the tent. See, we got, we've got this thing in society called I'm offended. <laughs> we're quick to offend. We're, we're quick not to trust people. We're quick, we're quick to rot people off. Listen, beloved, you can afford to trust. Is it hard to trust? Yes. Does it require vulnerability to trust? Absolutely. But love always Trust, love never loses faith. So do you live with that intent to trust? I'm intending to trust. I'm wanting to trust. I'm desiring to trust. We understand it's a process. Come on. For me, it's a process. Maybe for you, you know, I just trust everybody. Maybe you do. I'm not there yet. Because we understand this, right? People will disappoint us. We always say this, right? People will always let you down, but God will never let you down. But this is talking about loving people. That we will always trust people. That we will always have a trusting spirit. Is your default to be skeptical or suspicious or doubtful or cautious? Is that your default? That's not love. According to the scriptures. According to God who wrote the book on love. (laughs) This great love book called the Bible. Many have thought it's something else, but it's a love book. It's a love story. The one who defines love says love never loses faith. There's no last chances. Mm. 
See, love is easily persuaded. It's easily persuaded. Love puts itself out there. I know this is risky, but you risk. Listen, when you love, you take risk. It's a gamble. They could break your heart. In fact, you know this, and I know this. The people that you love can hurt you the worst. But love always trusts. We seek to trust. Love puts itself out there. You see, love never loses faith. It's willing to think the best in others. Opposed, as opposed to the worst in others. Love gives the benefit of the doubt. I will give them the benefit of the doubt. Why? Because I love them. Well, that's foolish because they have a poor track record. But love keeps no record of wrongs. Love covers a multitude of sin. So call it foolishness all you want, but the book of James calls it wisdom. He says that this this is different than what the world would call wisdom. This is different what a jaded society, a bitter heart would call love. See, our faith in others is never wasted. It's an investment. You've got to start seeing your trust that your faith in others is an investment. That you're investing in people by believing in them. It's an investment. How many of you know that when Jesus came and died, it was risky? It was an investment. It required faith in humanity for Jesus to go on the cross. Because there was a big possibility that you and I would say no to it. And millions have said no to it. But love is faithful. Love always believes. I believe, Father. I believe they'll come to me. So I'll go. I'll say yes to that mandate because I can win some of them. I believe in them. I believe he believes in humanity. I know we have all these little memes that say, you know, restoring hope in humanity or I'm done with humanity. He isn't done with humanity. Faith is never a waste. It's an investment. See, faith is kingdom currency. You want to talk kingdom talk, faith is kingdom currency. You want to have currency in your relationship? Then you're going to have to develop some faith in the people that you're in relationship with. If you're skeptical of them all the time and you're jaded and wounded with them all the time, do not expect to have a kingdom relationship. Expect to have a one-sided, worldly, selfish relationship. And expect not to benefit from it. See, kingdom is family, and in family, trust is currency. Love always trusts, never loses faith. Then he says this, that love always hopes. Now, we know that faith is what? The substance of things hoped for, right? So what, what we're doing is we're, we're, we're hoping in humanity, And faith explores what we hope for. Faith is the substance. Faith is the feet to our hope. Right? Hope sees the best in others. I know. I know they were lousy. But love sees the best in others. Hope sees the best in others. It means that we look forward, not backwards. 
See, love looks forward. Love doesn't look back and go, well, at this point in time, you did this. Why? Because love keeps no record of wrongs. Love is looking forward. Love is hopeful. And then we get the arguments. Well, brother, (laughs) you don't know what I've been through. And I don't. Well, you don't know what that person has done to me. Nope. I don't know. But I do know this. I know that when I was untrustworthy, that Jesus put faith in me. And the way that he loves is the standard. That's the standard. The way that he loves. And then people will say, well, we're not Jesus. Anybody ever said that? You, you, you quote Jesus. Right? Everybody wants to quote Jesus until it's something they don't like. And they go, well, we're not Jesus. No, but you're called to emulate him. And I would suggest this. The only thing that Jesus did that you can't do is die on the cross for the sins of humanity and rise from the dead. That's the only thing that you are not supposed to do that Jesus did. However, he did say that many of you will die the same way I'll die. In fact, when Jesus gave us the upper room discourse in John chapter 14 through 17, he talked about doing the things that he did. In fact, he said you would do greater things because there's more of you because I go to the Father. When I go to the Father, I'm going to give you the Spirit. And so now because we have the Holy Spirit, we can do the exact same things that Jesus did. Not only the same things, but we can love like Jesus loves because we have the same Spirit that possessed Jesus. You can love like he loves. So no, you ain't Jesus. Thank God. But you're called to emulate him. You're called to function like him, and you can. You can function like him. You can be like Jesus. In fact, you're called a Christian. That means you're like a little Christ. It means you're a follower of Jesus. That means you do what he did. You love like he loved. The second Reason why we should hope in humanity is this, because I don't know your struggle, but I do know this. I can look over my life and I can say, I succeeded there and I succeeded there. I failed there and I failed there. And you know what? Every time behind every success there is, there were people. Not because I had a perfect track record, because I don't. But there are people that believed in me. There were people that saw my potential, yet loved me how I was. There were people that prayed for me that encouraged me and had faith for me. They had hope in me. They believed in me. Because of that, I was able to succeed. See, hope sees potential. And I had people in my life that could look at Josh Brown, and if you would have saw Josh Brown 27 years ago, you would have thought, oh, man, he will probably end up in jail just like all the people that he spends his time with. And they did. But I had people in my life who had hope for me. I wasn't worthy of hope. I wasn't trustworthy. But I had people that believed in me. And because I did, I was able to succeed. See, love believes that the future is more powerful than the past. That's what love does. And that's what hope is, that we believe the future is more powerful than the past. And ultimately, listen, ultimately we don't place our hope in people. I'm not, I'm not trusting people for my well-being. But I do believe in hope for people. There is a level of hope that we place in others in our commitment to love. It means that we pray for them. 
It means that we declare over their life, that we declare purpose, that we declare destiny. It means this, that we're available to them. That's what it looks like to place hope in people. That we don't go, we're done. I'm done with you. I've had it up to here. I'm finished. That's not love, beloved. And if you find, listen, if you find yourself over and over and over again excommunicating people from your life, then you've got a problem. I'm not saying that there's never a place for you to remove somebody from your life because I believe that there is. But if you, rarely, by the way. But if you find this is a pattern in your life, then the problem isn't everybody else. The problem is you. And it's time for you to make some changes, beloved. God has more for you than that. Love always perseveres. See, love fights when it's hard, when it's dirty, when it's difficult, when it's sweaty, when it's stinky. Love keeps going, always perseveres. Love always fights. Love swims the deepest sea. Love climbs the highest mountain. Love weathers the drama of life. Love patiently endures all things. We talked about persevering last week. And the last thing that he says is this statement right here. He says, love never fails. Beloved, if we fail to love, we've failed. If we fail to love, we have failed. We're not going to get to heaven and go, God, look how much money I made. Look how great of an education I have. Look how many good things I did. We're going to get to heaven, and I believe the the look in the Lord's eye is going to be this. Did you love like I loved? Did you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Did you love your neighbor as yourself? Y'all all right? See, love never goes out of style. You can't over love. If If I'm guilty of one thing in my life, I want it to be that I overloved, that I loved too much. Lord, would you do a work in my heart? Would that, would that be the, the, the criticism of Josh Brown, that I loved too much, that I was too forgiving, that I was too gracious, that I was too tender? Man, that, that would be a life. That he believed in people too much. I'll take it. See, love never fails because love bears all things. Believes all things, never loses hope and carries on. The reason why love never fails is because it does the things that he just talked about. So how do we grow in that love? Because I, if you're like me, man, I, I, I wrestle with that. I'm like, oh, man, there are some people in my life that I know that I have a real hard time believing in. <laughs> Am I the only one? First John, we've spent a lot of time in First John. I, I would encourage you to just spend a lot of time in First John. That's just a great book of the Bible to camp out in for like eight, ten years. Dear friends, <laughs> we get on these like agendas of reading our Bibles. I'll, I'll go here. I'll go here. We get on this thing of the reading. I want to read my Bible in a year. I'm going to read three chapters a day. Listen, why don't you just like invest in the Word of God? Don't focus on your success by how far you get, but how deep you get into it. Right, I'm saying when you get in the word, you just you just absorb it. If you read, if you might spend a month on a chapter, that would probably be better for you than digging through like five books. Don't look for yardage, look for depth when you read the scriptures. 
So get in there. If we, listen, if we preach the same verses every Sunday, that's a good thing, I think. That's why we do series, right? Because we want to get deeper into it. We don't just want to move on to the next thing. Because we have to come back to it and, oh, that, oh, I never saw that before. And we'll do that still. We'll be on this in like a year or two. We'll be like, oh, you see that? I didn't, but then I did, and then I didn't again. All right. Dear friends, <laughs> beloved, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Pretty good. Amen. Word. God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. That should be so easy. If a God like that could love a man like me, shouldn't it be easy to love a man like you? Dear friends, since God loved us so much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. You want to know the love of God? Go love on somebody. Have dinner with somebody. Forgive somebody. You want to know the love of God? Forgive somebody that did you dirty. Be kind to someone who is unkind to me, unkind to you. That's what the love of God looks like. Compliment your enemies. That's what the love of God looks like. Compliment those that you're jealous of. That's what the love of God looks like. Well, I'm not jealous of anybody. No, you're just arrogant. I love you. <laughs> I really do. You know, you know I do, beloved. All right. God is love and all. Where are we at? Third, God has given us his spirit. Oh, here we go. Come on. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. He's that seal. The Holy Spirit is that seal. Not just the power of God, but the love of God. Tracking? Verse 16. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live and love live in God, and God lives in them. That's kind of getting a little Dr. Seuss there. It's awesome. Verse 17, and as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. Perfect isn't a destination. It's a process. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. When we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. When we stand before God, now, now get this on judgment, because we see that day of judgment, oh, crap. <laughs> right? There's two judgments. There's, there's the judgment of those that don't know the Lord, that'll stand before the Lord, and I'm say, you didn't do anything with Jesus, I died for you, and you just could care less. And then you have the, the judgment for the redeemed. The Bama Seat of Christ is where we'll stand before the Lord and he'll look at our lives after we've devoted ourselves to Jesus and he'll look at us 
And he'll go, okay, this is how we're rewarding you according to your works. Some of your works will be burned by fire, all those things not done in love. But we have no fear on the day of judgment because we learned to love. Did you learn to love? Did you grow in love? Are you being perfected in love? Or have you grown stagnant? Because we live like Jesus. (laughs) One is, did you know the man? The second judgment is, how well did you follow him? Scary. It's good, though. It's good judgment. There's a reward there. Tons of reward. It's not, a, it's not a judgment of punishment. That's the first one. You pass that one because you've came to Jesus. If you haven't, we'll give you an opportunity to do that today. Number one, how do you do this? How do we grow <clears throat> in this believing love? Number one, you've got to spend time with Jesus. I know you ain't got time because everything else in your life is more important, like Facebook and Netflix. <clears throat> I understand you got to spend some time with Jesus. If you want to love like Jesus, then you've got to get in this place of understanding who he is. We love because he first loved us. We can love because of the cross. We can love because of that demonstration. But listen, you will learn the fragrance of love. You will learn what love looks like. You will learn the culture of love by being in his presence. And probably on a Sunday morning and maybe even a Saturday night once a week is not going to really help you that much. You've got to learn to get in the presence of Jesus every single day of your life and allow him to mark and brand your heart with his affections. We love because he loves. Number two is that you trust him where you lack trust. So what happened this week is I'm reading this, preparing for this message. I want to say it was Monday. And I looked at this. It might have been Tuesday morning. And I was looking at this and I was just like, oh, love never fails to trust. What? What? I know I've read it a thousand times. I know I went to Bible college, but I'm really struggling with this scripture, Lord. Are you sure? And I just told the Lord, I was like, how? How do I learn to trust? And I felt like the Lord told me this. He said, sometimes you got to borrow my trust. Will you borrow my trust? So sometimes you don't, you don't trust people. But he does. I know they've had a poor track record. He trusts them. You getting that today? He trusts you. And he trusts them. I don't know why, but he does. So sometimes you just got to borrow that trust from the Lord. So Lord, I don't, but I'll, I'll trust because you do. And this is the awesome thing about God, is that when you borrow something that belongs to him, he lets you keep it. He lets you keep it. So borrow hope. Borrow faith from the Lord. God, give me, give me your hope for them. Because yours, yours will run out. It probably already has, but his won't. Number three, 
Commit to nurture love, not justify complacency. Because what we do is this. That's not who I am. We start getting into circumstances, right? Circumstantial evidence. This is the reason why I can't love. Because they did this. Because I was raised this way. Because this person treated me like this. Because they have a poor track record. On and on and on and on we go. Reason after reason after reason after reason to justify our complacency and our love. I can tell you this. If there's anybody who has struggled through this series, it's me. Because every week I'm digging over these and going, I'm not doing so well. Make me more like Jesus. Teach me, Lord. I'm not justifying my complacency. Well, this is where I'm at. I'm done with that. I'm pursuing perfect love. Number four. This is the last point today. Put your mouth on watch. What, what does that have to do with it? What does that have to do with my heart? Everything. Because your words lead your heart. I watch more bitterness be stirred because people are venting. Well, I'm just venting. I need to let it out. What you need to do is shut your mouth. What you need to do is speak what God is saying over that person. Not talking about affirming sin, but speaking destiny, having hope in people, speaking over their life. Lord, I believe that you have a purpose for them. I pray, Lord, that they would repent of their sins and they would know the perfect love of Jesus. Put a watch on your mouth, beloved. We, Leslie and I had this uh, little conversation a couple weeks ago, and I was venting. <laughs> I won't tell you what I said, but I was going on and on, being kind of negative, being really negative. And I was just, blah, 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 blah. and she said, you know what? I was like, it really drains me when you complain about that person. And I was like, oh, speaks the truth in love. Love speaks the truth. And it bugs her, but you know who it even bugs even more than that? The Lord. And I was just like, okay. And since that moment, I've been like, heart check. I, there's been several moments that I've been like, put up, hit it, hit up, hit right. up, hit Put your mouth on watch. A little, little entertainment for you today. All right. Listen, our words will lead our heart towards or away from people. I heard a story. I'm just going to share this. Uh, Bill Johnson, as many of you all know, I just admire Bill so much. And he said that uh, when he would have, like, something ugly in his heart, and he was sharing a specific uh, story about someone in a Christian magazine. It was like a minister that he had a problem with. And he's like, I never spoke anything, but I had this, like, ugliness. And he said, so what I would do is he said, I would pull out that picture every time I thought of that person. I'd pull out that magazine, that picture of that person, and I'd just begin to, to pray until I sense God's pleasure over them. I got so convicted when I heard that. I was like, man, how, how, how much better would we be if we would be like that with people that we didn't like? If we would be like that with celebrities or politicians that we didn't like? 
Maybe our heart would look more like the heart of Jesus. Ephesians 4. We're closing with this verse. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good and necessary for edification. Now, most people use this word and they're talking about cussing, right? And I think it does speak of cussing. That no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Yep. That which is useful for edification, right? No beeps and, yeah, all that. None of that. But it, this, listen, filthy language is a very small percentage of corrupt words that come out of our mouth. When you consider gossip, negativity, complaining, complaining is draining, all of that, all of that's corrupt communication. You can even be speaking the truth in a complaining way, and it's wrong. Go back and listen to last week's message if you have a problem with that. And then this is what it says, but, but that which is necessary for edification, for building up, that it may, Dina Johnson, who was in first service, she, she spoke this word, this, read this verse. I'd heard it a million times. She read this verse at the marriage conference, and when she read it, it pierced my heart. It says this, because we focus on that first part. Let no corrupt communication, but that which is necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearer. You know, sometimes the grace that people need in their life to overcome is going to come from your lips. Are you speaking words of grace that it may impart grace to the hearers? And then it says this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit of God? That little thing that sits at the bottom of your face called your mouth. That's how you grieve. The Holy Spirit of God. Some of you, it's the big thing that sits at the bottom of your face. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit of God by not speaking words of edification? Look at this context. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, which you were sealed for the day of redemption. Listen, beloved, when we speak, does it please the Holy Spirit or does it grieve the Holy Spirit? Are we imparting grace? Or are we contributing to corruption? Let all bitterness, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. With all of its malice, with all malice, with all malicious intent, don't be negative and be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Sometimes the grace that people need is the grace that comes off your lips. Beloved, learn to speak. Learn to put a watch over your mouth. Learn to put a watch of the things that you're posting on social media. Is it edifying? Well, I'm just warning everybody. Thank God for you, brother. What is your intent? I'm not saying that you don't ever ever speak against things. 
There's a difference between speaking about things and ideas and there is speaking against people. Jesus didn't speak against people. He spoke against ideas. Big difference. He died for all those people. He died for all those people you're railing that are in dysfunctional systems. 